Welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Buzz Podcast. Uh, we're happy that you're joining us today for our part two on Vatican II. Last week, we uh, broke open a little bit about what the council was, what they wrote, what they talked, how they convened, and all those different things. Uh, today, we're going to talk about the fallout of Vatican II. And to do that, we have uh, the Vatican II expert panel, uh, Josh Sullivan, over here, and Matt Van Milligan. Matt, I learned Latin for you. We call you dolor ad unum. Do you know what that means? No, I don't. The smart one. Oh. Yeah, I learned it this week. Brains yeah. and the beauty. Yeah. I mean, that's how, that's how we do it. <laughs> the ugly smart one. Got it. Yeah. 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 Do you actually know any Latin? Um, I I took Latin. Like, yeah. I, I took a course in Latin. Um, but uh, So it usually involves, like, re- looking at a, a or something in an old church and it taking me, like, 10 minutes to piece it together and, you know, seven out of <laughs> ten the times I actually get it right. Yeah. 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 It's still the official language of the church. Yeah. 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 That's the, yeah, there, yeah, there are quite a few things to say about that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a whole podcast in itself. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll do an episode on the official language of the church. Yeah. Latin. Okay. So last week we had a good discussion about Vatican II and, um, you know, we just kind of talked about what it was. Uh, for people who may not have been uh, around when that happened, or uh, it was good for people to sort of reflect on it because they lived through Vatican II. Imagine the excitement, though. Eh? You know, like, I know the bishop of the diocese of Sault Ste. Marie was was uh, in Rome uh, yeah. at, the, at the time, you know, like, uh, so uh, the excitement of knowing your bishop is part of this large meeting that's happening with the world's bishops, you know, that was probably exciting for Catholics yeah. and hearing back what's happening there and all these different things. And it, it took place over a couple of years. Yeah. So it was like the hype was building too, right? I mean, like it wasn't just like a one meeting, okay, and then it's done. It was like a couple, like your bishop was gone for three or four months. Yeah. And and doing going through these meetings and stuff and then would come back and do what he needs to do in the diocese and then go back again next year. And, yeah. you know. Like it was a thing that just kind of kept building. And he would come back and probably talk about his experience. Mm-hmm. They said to me, I was reading uh, one thing about Vatican II, uh, about how the very first session, they decided right off the bat, I think, I think it was Pope um, John XXIII, decided right off the bat that nothing would be proclaimed or decided in the first session. It was just going to be discussed and get everybody's... Um, you know, get get the spirit flowing, get things discussed and talked about. So everyone was kind of knew what was going on and knew what, but they weren't going to actually make any decisions off that first session. And he opened up with that in his in his um, address to the to the council. You know what I was thinking about it? Like, imagine being part of a meeting like that, and uh, you're given because you said last week that people were given five minutes to speak. Yeah. Eh? Like yeah. each bishop yeah. was given five, five minutes, minutes to, speak. to speak. You know, you'd really have to pray about that. Hey, oh, yeah. what, five what minutes to speak to <laughs> the the world's bishops uh, and the Holy Father sitting there, you know. Especially like look at our like our diocese in Northern Ontario, Canada. Like uh, you know, what would the bishop of Ontario like? You'd really have to pray yeah. about what you would say if you had five minutes to address. Yeah. Wasn't there a bishop too? I think I can't remember who was telling me, but a bishop talked used his five minutes to talk. Specifically about St. Joseph. Yeah, I was telling you because yeah, it was, yeah. it's in the book, The Consecration to St. Joseph. Um, so I believe he was a Polish uh, yeah. bishop, and he had suffered greatly. I don't think anyone knew about uh, his sufferings, but he had, I believe he was uh, locked up or imprisoned. Mm-hmm. And 
his his devotion to Saint Joseph. He says that Saint Joseph really saved him. You know, I don't know the whole story. It's in, it's in the book, The Consecration of Saint Joseph. It's, it's a beautiful story. But he used his five minutes to talk about Saint Joseph and how we need to add Saint Joseph to the mass. Yeah. You no, know, like today yeah. we do. Yeah. Uh, and because of his frail nature, and he was very nervous at public speaking. Yeah. He was maybe stuttering or uh, maybe sweating Slow, like I do yeah. in public, you know. <laughs> and and the bishops there, unkindly thought, who's this guy yeah. talking yeah. about Saint Joseph? You know, and they kind of pushed him aside. But then in the book, uh, the Consecration of Saint Joseph, it said that Pope, uh, I believe it was, it was John XXIII, yeah. called that bishop. And said, you know, thank you for what you said today. Yeah. And it happened. Yeah, it was added to one of the, the one of the Eucharistic uh, prayers. Yeah. Um, but then uh, progressively it's been added to the others as well. Pope Francis added them yeah. to all uh, the Eucharistic prayers, yeah. yes. Uh, but it started at Vatican II with yeah. this, uh, I believe, Polish uh, bishop. Yeah. Which is awesome. Remember, yeah. 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 With that five minutes, hey? Uh, it did change the world. If we had five minutes, oh, I don't know what we can we get can, We can limit ourselves to five minutes, I don't think. Okay, we are, we are uh, talking about fallout. So, obviously, there are objections to Vatican II. We can't uh, deny that, that, no. that some people have objections to what happened at Vatican II. There is a certain legacy that, uh, that Vatican II has left behind. And then, uh, while people object to, to the changes at, from Vatican II, there are people who think there weren't enough changes right. as well. So there's sort Both of sides. opinion on all sort of the spectrum and um, most mostly surrounding the life of the church around liturgy. Mm -hmm. eh? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, also around, you know, there was the question raised around, uh, you know, I, I thought, I think when the permanent diaconate was, mm -hmm. a, was a product of uh, Vatican II, uh, or re resurgence, you know, and uh, there was a question about female uh, deacons as, as yeah. well, right? Yeah. And I, I think that is a, sort of a sore spot for, for some people as well. That conversation sort of happened again in the last couple of years. There was no definitive uh, decision made there, you know? No. So, well, I mean, there was decisions made, not on the diaconate, mm -hmm. on, but because the diaconate, as, as you said before, diaconate, at, at one time was trans transitional. You became a deacon and then you became a priest. And so the idea that you have permanent diaconate, well, if you have permanent diaconate that does never become a priest necessarily, mm -hmm. can, can women then become deacons? And that, and that is one, one question that has not been, even today, we, we're very definitive that women can't become priests. Um, that will never happen. It's, it's doctrinal and whatnot. But and all three popes in the last, my last three popes that I've been alive for have all said so. Mm -hmm. um, but... The, the position of deacon, deacon uh, diaconists, I don't know how you would say it, but women that women deacons, um, the book hasn't been closed on that. It's a, but right. it's, but, it's but there not, was a commission brought forward a number of years ago by Pope Francis. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm saying a number of years ago. It may have been, I mean, 2020 is kind of a blur with COVID, <laughs> right? So it may have been just a year and a half ago. I don't know. Uh, or it may have been three years ago, I'm not sure. So uh, the, there was a people sort of exploring the scriptures and church teaching and yeah. the history and traditions of the church. And both sides decided that there was not enough sort of information to, to move forward. With, with this, it. yeah. Yes. So the, the, I guess you could say the, 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 the 
book hasn't been closed on it, like you said. Yeah. You know, but but, but it's decided we can't do anything more. Yeah, right at this at point, this time. Yeah. So that's one thing. Remember, ministries. Uh, we talked about this in one episode of, of the Catholic Buzz, because um, priests on your way to the priesthood, you would get like uh, you would be tonsured. Yeah. Lecture. Exorcist, um, subdeacon. Yeah, yeah. Those were all. Those were minor orders. Those were all eliminated, and and and, and put ministries instead. So lector and acolyte, yeah, yeah. Uh, transitional deacon, uh, ordination uh, to the deacon, diaconate, and then priesthood. So those are some of the life of the of the church. That some some changes have happened that you see. But let's talk the liturgy because I know. <laughs> Uh, well, people are expecting us to talk we, about the liturgy, and Josh just can't wait. I can't wait. Well, no, I just want to say, like, let's just look at the overall effects of it first, which is you had roughly uh, 2,400 or twenty, however many uh, bishops yeah, that yeah. were there voting on, right? 2,400, something like that. The biggest split on these 16 documents, the biggest, they would always vote, and then they would change some things, especially if it was a big split. But the biggest split in all of those documents was 2,300 votes, roughly, somewhere around there to 70. That was the biggest split in any of them. And most of the documents, like I think it's like 12 out of uh, 12, were less than five split. So it was, you know, all the, everybody and five people disagreed. And, and all of the bishops put their signature to it when they agreed, you know, like they all write in it. And so you have to think there is um, these men that are shepherds and pastors of their diocese, as well as the church and stuff. These, the, the Holy Spirit working through them creates these documents. And the Holy Spirit really did move because, you, and you can see it in the wording of the documents, especially because we know, and there's history about this, and there's there's actual history that there were people thinking, that, like I think you mentioned it last week. Now is the time we can change the church for <laughs> yeah. what we think the church should be. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so there were groups about it that were meeting at night, and me, like, and, and, and where I mean, uh, it depends on how much you get into the conspiracy of it, but um, there were people that that had agendas. But those agendas didn't come forward in Vatican II, and you can see like what they talked about they wanted to happen and what actually happened, those didn't. And even some of the biggest splits that we have off of it from Vatican II, um, like um, Archbishop uh, uh, Pope Pius, oh, uh, Pius Society. Yeah, um, he, he signed the documents. He, he was in agreement with the wording of the documents at the time. He assigned all the documents in agreement. It was only after that that he didn't like the practice that was put into um, but he, he he agreed with the wording. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Okay. So let's look. So uh, prior to uh, the changes that came as a result of Vatican II, I'm watching my wording there. Right. <laughs> uh, there, the the mass, the holy mass, was celebrated with the congregation and the priest all facing the same direction in worship to God. Mm-hmm. Uh, the priest, who in persona Christi, uh, is the is offers the sacrifice at the altar. Um, the less scripture was read, and uh, like we said last week, a homily wasn't was required required except on a on a solemnity. So these were sort of the things that happened during the liturgy. Um, so people would listen to a homily, right? Uh, but for the most part, everything was done uh, in Latin. <laughs> sotto voce is what they say. Low in a low voice is what they say. So you can't hear what's said, right? Yeah. That's why the bells, when you hear, bing, yeah. bing, 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 then you know what's you know, going on. You know that the, <laughs> the, the, consec- the consecration has taken place. The host, uh, the bread has changed into the body of, of Jesus. And so that's sort of what the, the Eucharist, what, what celebration of the mass looked like. 
now we're more familiar with our celebration of the Eucharist, so we don't have to explain that, I guess. But there are, uh, there are significant changes that have happened. You know, we talked last week about chant. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we, and now it's, you know, all I'm saying, I guess, is what I'm trying to say is you can understand some people's disappointment with the change. A hundred percent. And the interpretation of the change, right? Yes. And the way you would take it. Change in general is hard for people. Yes. Now, I am a big fan, personally, of always reminding myself that the Holy Mass is what it says it is. Holy. Holy. Yeah. It's the sacrifice uh, of the Mass. Jesus is, uh, is present on our altar. The word is proclaimed. Jesus is present in the word. He's present in the priest. He's present in the Eucharist. He's present in the people. It's a, it's a holy celebration that should be different from everything else outside of the church building. Agreed. Right? Like, we shouldn't just come to church like we're at the movie theater. That's right. We shouldn't come to church like we're at a bingo hall or, you know, there's something sacred about our buildings, there's something sacred about what we're doing at the Mass together. So, uh, so that being said, that still happens, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, in our celebration of the Mass today. What, what I'm not surprised is that people thought that the sacredness of the Mass was being butchered, if you mm-hmm. will, right? Because all of a sudden, uh, they, they move furniture around the, the altar uh, they went from singing chants or to chanting, I guess, to uh, playing sort of the banjo yeah, yeah, <laughs> to yeah. be more dramatic. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and and all these different sorts of things. I mean, you hear stories of liturgical dancing and well, and even the clown mask—that's a real thing. Like, <laughs> don't is that a real? Yeah, thing? it's a real thing. Oh, they actually got, and, and you you do hear these stories. Like that there there was real fallout of Vatican II. Yes, um, and for the reason we said kind of last episode that because the the way that these documents are composed. It's in the form of general norms. They don't give direct prescriptions. They don't say, okay, you're not allowed to use Latin anymore. You're, you're, we yeah. want all of the um, beautiful uh, altars torn down and put like this weird 1970s you altar. Know, uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> altar. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, just like modern architecture, kind of that, those kinds of things, clown masses. You have these kind of extreme examples of people. And again, like you said, the, probably with a, a bit of an ideological agenda to try and push push yes. the envelope, try and, you know, have this kind of avant-garde approach to liturgy and church and um, push things too far. And and really, there were kind of, I would say, uh, uh, you know, clear misinterpretations of yes. the spirit of the council. Um, so... And, but I would also say that those those are extreme examples, yeah, and those sure. aren't representative sure. of no, what, the, the new order of the mass. Yes, I think I think one of the ones that uh, gets me the most, actually. So when I like I doing a lot of research, I heard a lot from both sides. I went I went both on let's say a left side, a more progressive side, and and the ideas that they were trying to push forward, everything from uh, women priests to. Um, Masses as more entertainment, and I think that's what the difference that you were talking about before was. Mass is not entertainment. Mm-hmm. Mass is a spiritual exercise. It is a spiritual gift to us for food. It's spiritual food for us, and so if we approach mass as spiritual food, as being a, a spiritual feast, if you will, 
It's not about entertainment. When you go to a feast, it's not about being entertained. It's about eating. It's about being nourished. And so if you approach mass that way, about being nourished, then the changes of Vatican II make sense. Um, you're, getting your, you're getting everything in the language that you understand. You are being able to see the consecration happen in front of you. You're being able to see the priest whisper, bless, um, wash his hands, all those things that aren't behind the veil anymore. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, you're be being able to participate in the Mass in a full, fuller way. But if you look, people, the wording allowed it to become less about um, the sacrament of the Mass and more about how to include people in the Mass. And people interpret that as entertainment. Let's entertain. And that's where you get, like, again, that's an extreme example of, I've heard of puppet masses too, but, like, that's a whole other thing. I, I, I have pictures of it. I have Stop. pictures. But, but those, those are, like, yeah, they don't happen all the time. I've never uh, heard of I, I'm going to show pictures next I time, can't okay? Wait. I can't but, um, but, but those are far extreme examples. But, again, they became more about liturgical dancing, about entertaining, less about spiritual nourishment. Yeah, it's important to, to remember that we're at Mass to worship. Yeah. And to worship who? Not ourselves. Exactly. It's to worship God. And, and, and even the music. And, and yeah, and everything should point us towards worshiping yeah. from uh, the scriptures to the homily to the music selected uh, to what actually happens during the Mass. You know, like, uh, yes, there's a, there's a time and place for... Uh, I don't know, presentations and all these yeah, different yeah. things, and it's not during the Mass. The, the, the mass you I, know? I think that it's a really important distinction to make, that if you read the Vatican II documents, specifically the first one, with that in mind, you're going to agree with what the Vatican says. You yeah. know what I mean? Everything that the Vatican says, and you take it with that light, you don't try to take it looking for loopholes, right? Because if you, again, if we talk about essay style, you can find loopholes. Oh, let's yeah. take this word and rearrange it to mean more this than this. And then we got five or six different paragraphs that we can change to forming a different view, right? So that's an end. So I think we should just mention that uh, the Mass, because there, there is Mass still celebrated today in Latin, yeah. uh, like they celebrated prior to the changes that came forth from Vatican II. Um, and uh, our mass, uh, I shouldn't say our mass, I guess, but the, there's the, the ordinary form that yeah. we celebrate and the extraordinary form uh, that is celebrated in Latin. Uh, the extraordinary form, yeah, I've, I've, I've not had much experience uh, attending mm -hmm. uh, an extraordinary form mass, but it is beautiful. Oh, it's beautiful. I love it. Uh, the ordinary form yeah. can be beautiful as well. hundred percent. You know, and I, I think, um, you know, there are opinions on both sides of, you know, people who attend exclusively the extraordinary form will say what uh, gong show, for lack of yes. better words, the ordinary form is. What's a better word there? Uh, try and heighten my vocabulary today, Matt. What a clown show. They say, they, you know, that's so horrible to attend uh, an ordinary form mass. But on the flip and side. And then on the other side, yeah. there's people who attend exclusively the ordinary form mass who say, what are those people doing that's still... Going to mass in Latin, they're crazy. Flipped around, they're not even going to face the people. Yeah, you know. So, yeah. I think there has to be charity on on both sides. There, we're celebrating the Eucharist together. We're 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 present during the sacrifice, um, and I'm just happy that people are at mass. Yeah. Whether you're at the extraordinary <laughs> form mass or the ordinary form mass, they both they're both they're both there's beauty in both of them, and I think we have to be charitable with uh, one with one another. I, yeah. I, I think the people that have complaints. So we talked about like the left who kind of take the wording, skew it a little bit to their own purpose. At the same time, you have what would be considered more the extreme right 
I would say, that take it Vatican II and, but don't take the wording of Vatican II, more take what they see as a result of Vatican II and complain about it from there. And so then they see things, and there is one, one thing that comes to mind that I do agree with, not that I agree with, but I see as a result, and this is one of the, like, there's a lot of different things, but it's talking about extraordinary uh, Eucharistic ministers. When you took, this, this is my one thing that makes sense to me, but then try to find it in the Vatican II documents. I couldn't find it yet, but that doesn't mean that I won't. But talking about taking it at one time before Vatican II, the priest's hands were holy hands, that transubstantiation, consecration, uh, God used his hands, right, uh, to bless and to do all that things. And they were the only, a priest's hands were the only hands allowed to touch the Eucharist. So even the, the altar servers and stuff had the little pans and all that stuff to make sure that the Eucharist fell. Um, when we brought that into the, uh, brought that into extraordinary, extraordinary? The order of thought? No, no, the extraordinary Eucharistic ministers. Oh, extraordinary uh, ministers of Holy Communion. Yes, yes. I when see, we, I see. When, when, when we brought, brought it down to that, we now took this beautiful, I mean, the, Jesus. We took Jesus and this, the, the awesomeness and the, uh, you know, mystery, I guess, going to say around the Eucharist, and now brought it into putting it in regular people's hands. I can see how that people stopped feeling like this is the true presence of God because, oh, I can touch it. It's just bread. You know what I mean? Versus, so I understand where they have those arguments or that, but that's not, that's not because of, that's, that's lack of, of teaching. Uh, there, there's, there's a real sympathy for people who want to maintain an attitude of reverence for, yes. that, that you want to say that we don't, we don't want to diminish the significance of the Eucharist being the actual person of Christ. Yes. That, you know, uh, we, we, we want everything from our liturgy, from the way we approach things, um, that we can't, we can't accept that, you know, um, just a, a lay person can, can hold, you know, Jesus yes. in their hands. But I, I throw back to last week that this, this was the problem that a lot of people had with the incarnation. That it's yes. like that Jesus would humble himself to come among us. Some people could not accept. Yeah. Some yeah. people would just like, no, God is God is above. God yeah. doesn't, you know, Good point. exist yeah, right. Good in point. our mirth. He doesn't, uh, yeah. you know, this yeah. isn't his his place. So, uh, but uh, I don't want to say that, uh, uh, that there, there's a certain point where that attitude could become complacent or irreverent. Yes. That, and, and, and I think... Um, that it's really important for us to draw these lines, that there are licit and illicit forms yeah, of liturgy yeah, yeah. and that there, you know, there are licit um, um, uh, forms of liturgy in English. There are licit forms of liturgy in Latin. Yeah. There are licit forms in both. Yeah. Um, that, um, and you mentioned um, um, uh, SSPX earlier, yes. that, that, that there are communities um, that have, you know, rejected Vatican II or other other um, kind of teachings of the church so thoroughly that they're Excuse consecrating me. hosts illicitly that yeah. that, that, that mm -hmm. they they're so committed to their their own kind of position their yeah um, their own ideals yeah exactly that, yeah. that that it's that there's a real kind of break that um, they've drawn the line but on uh, like uh, yeah it's important to draw the lines but I think. Uh, we need to know where to draw those as well. It, it's funny because one of the things I heard, uh, I was listening to somebody talk about Vatican II, and they were saying, like, if, if you really want to take Vatican II and understand the purpose behind it, go to Africa. And so talk about putting it in the language of the people and the practice of the people and, and allowing people to sing their praise and worship through their own sign, not in Latin and stuff. The church in Africa is growing, is what it was talking talking about, how, how the, you know, the mission, and just how alive the church in Africa <clears throat> is compared to, 
the Western uh, nations. You know what I mean? And, and that, so yeah, you could take Vatican II and make it come alive. Yeah. And it did. And it didn't lose any of its importance or religion, I mean, in, in mystery or anything. Or, depending on what happens, you could take it and, again, change it one way or the other. And, and, and it, it, it hurts the church, you know? So. Sorry, just the, the, the um, and again, talking about the, the difficulties people have with some of the documents, like the, the conversations I find myself in, it's mostly Sacrosanctum, Concilium, and Lumen Gentium that, that people take the most issue with. And it's, it's a, a lot of it has to do with enculturation, yes. yeah. bringing, bringing uh, parts of culture into the mass. Yeah. Um, but we talked last week about um, uh, maybe prior to some of... Um, the Vatican II documents, people being alienated from. Yes. So that, that you know, the uh, Sacrosanctum Concilium specifically, so that you don't just bring every aspect of culture into the Mass. It's yeah. not just a, a free-for-all. It's just that the extent to which you allow, you know, the, the culture of the people, the world outside <clears throat> into the Mass is aiding them in their understanding of the sacraments. Yeah. And even, even when we're talking about Gregorian chant and, you know, Latin liturgy, those are enculturated practices within, within yeah. the history of the church. It wasn't though like it was Latin from day one, and then Vatican II changed it. That like, yeah. likely the Last Supper. I think most biblical scholars would say, would yeah, Aramaic. Um, yeah. But even even in the early centuries, it was it was um, mostly um, spoken in Greece and I, I uh, in Greek, and then uh, even even in the Roman Church, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, and then until uh, even Constantine, but then there was kind of an adoption period. As well, so um, Latin being the official language of the the church, that's something that developed over time and was brought in from the outside culture. Was brought in from yeah. the Roman Empire. Yeah. Um, chant itself was uh, closer to the first millennium. Yeah. That uh, that and and these these are beautiful aspects of the living tradition of the church. Um, but to say that, that that they're kind of static elements that can't change um, no. doesn't agree with the history on on I guess either end of the either end of the church. Okay, we're almost out of time, but uh, I want to mention uh, two more things. Okay. Uh, maybe just one, because we're almost out of time. But there are people who think that because of the changes at Vatican II is why you've seen a decline in the practice of faith, mm -hmm. in the understanding of faith, um, in the reverence shown towards the sacraments, mm -hmm. um, in participation in the life of the church. What would we say to that? Is there any truth to that? I mean, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, I, I think it's actually, it's, it's the part of the change. And the part of the change that was the problem was exactly the reason Vatican II had to happen, was that people didn't understand what was going on, didn't have quite a, a, a fuller understanding of what was going on. And then to explain it, we didn't do a great job from the 60s to now. I mean, it's taken us 50 years, 60 years to start to still change how it's taught, how it's believed. Like, if 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 you go into a church and just say, okay, this person right here, they're the be all end all. They're going to consecrate the Eucharist. Like, it's a mystery, and and taking that away. But now that we can hold it, now that we can actually understand, wrap our minds around it, people like to give answers sometimes that don't have answers. People yes. like to, and so because of that, it it deteriorates from the awesomeness and the holiness of the Eucharist or the church and and the sacraments. If you actually go into, if you're solely seeking truth and you go into what the church teaches, it, it's a, it's amazing. And and like like, if 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 we all believed 
as holy as we should or as we could the, the true presence of the Eucharist, how much different would Mass be? How much fuller would Mass be? How much, like, you wouldn't let, your kids would be at Mass because this is a miracle happening in front, like, you know what I mean? There's, there's a, there would be a longing or, a, or something different in our hearts, I think, yeah. if the whole congregation of the church felt the same way. I think they, I think the majority, or not even a majority because I know the statistics, but a, a big part of the church that go on Sunday do feel that. But um, there are some, the, we've grown through this period of 50 or 60 years where it's slowly the church has readjusted its understanding, readjusted its understanding to people like, no, no, I don't, I don't, I, I'm going to choose what I believe now because I can read it up. And they're either just too lazy or just don't do it. Yeah, and we spoke really quickly last week about just kind of uh, uh, the historical situation that the council yes. was was a part of that, that these like the trajectories of kind of modernism and atheism and th these forces were already kind of at work um, in culture and, and uh, again like people would say that you know at um, because you know the council happened and then these declines happened you know the council was maybe the cause uh, for yeah. that um, that it's you have you have these declines or you have these and, and uh, we're actually on an upturn but. Um, uh, you know, in, in Protestant um, denominations, in other kind of uh, faith communities that, that didn't have yeah. <laughs> the Second Council. Vatican Council. So yeah. it, it, it's hard to attribute those, those declines to the Council itself. But I think in terms of actually doing kind of factor analysis on, on look why this is happening, um, uh, Archbishop uh, Charles Chaput has, a, he, um, I, I believe, he spent his... Um, uh, summers uh, as, as a kid in Quebec um, and so he witnessed kind of the the decline in like the, the the popularity of Catholicism in Quebec just from kind of a demographic point of view that you know when he was a kid in the 60s 70s um, that um, you know everybody went to mass everybody like like the, uh, Catholicism was a huge part of the culture everyone was catechized everyone had kind of the um, the expected structure that supported the Catholic life, but because of the you know the forces, the cultural forces at work, um, that that led to a steady decline. And his you know his experience you know becoming a priest, becoming a bishop, becoming um, his recognition of, of you know the the, the symptom that that's that's causing like that, that's the cause of, of of this decline is that even though they were properly catechized, they weren't properly evangelized. Yes. That it's, so uh, we, need, we need to have both. We need to have an understanding of, of the church, of what the church teaches. We need, to, we need to be able to have discussions about, you know, the licitude of, of different liturgical forms, and, but that's not enough. Mm -hmm. We need to encounter Christ in the sacraments. In the sacraments. And we, we, need, we need to understand what, what, what all of our discussions about liturgy and about, you know, the church in general are about. I think sometimes we're too, we're so preoccupied with all that other yeah. stuff that you were mentioning that, that we fail to, to encounter Jesus, you know, and that's really what it's, <laughs> what is going to enlighten our life and bring us to salvation. It's right? cool you say that only because this, the, one of the stats that prove it is the seminary, the enrollment in the seminary before Vatican II had actually dropped out already. And it was, that was part of the reason actually that the Pope was looking at those stats. I mean, this is story, a legend, but looking at some of those stats, and for five years before that, it had dropped significantly, and that was why we need to bring this into it to to re-evangelize or reintroduce the love of Jesus into people's hearts. Yeah, and we have to remember too that uh, there are some people that look at look at the church with uh, sort of rose-colored glasses prior to Vatican II, right? Mm -hmm. 
I mean, it wasn't a perfect church or a perfect world then. It's not a perfect church or a perfect world no. today, no. right? We all there's some challenges that come with the history. 100%. You know, some people argue that if we only went back, things would be better. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, um, if we put our own personal revelation or how we're supposed to interpret God's plan for the church, if I say this is how the Catholic Church of the whole entire world should do it over top of an ecumenical council with, you know, 2,800 bishops who were praying for four years mm -hmm. about the direction of the church. If, I, if I'm doing that, then I am no better than some other people that might have just decided to walk away from the church on their own. You know, it's an ecumenical council. It's like what we talked about before last week. It was one of the highest forms of, of decision-making in our church. And it's not taken lightly. And most, like if not the majority, 98% or something of the people involved in this council, or I think it was 99% on all documents, voted in favor of every single document that came out of there. And I'm going to put my own determination, my own private revelation that God has said that this is, you know what I mean? Like how, how much do I got to think of myself to do that? You know what yeah. I mean? No, no, no. I trust in Mother Church. I trust in the fact that God has, is in control. The Holy Spirit's in control of these people and that made these decisions, and I'm going to trust. I might not understand it. I may not understand the wisdom or the knowledge behind it, but I'm not going to pretend that I am better than that. You know what I mean? I'm going to, okay, God, I trust that you're doing And if not, we, then we take St. Francis's route, which, you know, pray, do things, do things in poverty and humility, and, and, and then let God use you to change the church, but through your humility, not through your turn or burn action. <laughs> <laughs> turn or burn action. Yeah, and, and I, I think at the end of the day, Vatican, the, the mission of Vatican II was, you know, to, to bring us closer yeah. <laughs> to Jesus, yeah. right? For the church to enter into the... Yeah, I just, I just really quickly, but like with all that said, that there have been real steps made yes. um, and, and efforts made to reconcile um, like a traditionally minded Catholics who see the beauty of, of older forms of to kind of the... the the newer the, the newer order uh, that I'm thinking specifically of something like uh, Pope Benedict's uh, spirit of the liturgy yeah that it's that um, uh, there are communities who are taking music seriously that are taking liturgy yeah. seriously that are using uh, mass parts in Latin and in the vernacular interchangeably so people know what they're saying when they're when they're yeah. uh, speaking Latin so that um, there is beauty in in the mass and there are communities and and even even here we, we've we've uh, we've tried to, it. yeah, yeah uh, to incorporate that, um, and it's it, yeah, it's it's really great to see people taking liturgy seriously, um, whether they're you know traditional or um, you know newer. I don't, yeah. like I, I consider myself a newer Catholic because yeah. I've been Catholic yeah. for. Okay, well, we've yeah. gone way over time, yeah. Yeah. but uh, I'm going to mention one thing that you can't comment okay, on or else we're going to talk for another few minutes. But what a, a shame for me after Vatican II, like things I look back on, are beautiful churches in Canada that were just whitewashed. Eh? They painted over all the murals. Was that they, because? And they took down, well, it was part of the liturgical restructuring and the moving the furniture around the sanctuary yeah. and, and trying to be modern. But it's a shame to think uh, that some churches oh. behind that white plaster <laughs> beautiful have beautiful icons, icons yeah. or depictions of the apostles or, or the saints or whatever, right? But uh, yeah, nonetheless, maybe lesson learned. I love watch, walking into a church with the um, old altar, like the high altar at the back. Like just looking at that all throughout Mass sometimes. It's you know? beautiful to see. It really yeah. Is.
Okay, we did two parts on Vatican II, uh, and uh, probably lots of fallout from this conversation will continue to occur. So thanks for having this conversation. If you want to send a question or a comment uh, to us, send it to the Catholic Buzz Podcast at gmail.com, and we will continue to answer your questions and uh, discuss all the different things that come our way when we're talking about the Catholic faith. Uh, my name is Father Daniele, and for Josh Sullivan, Matt Van Milligan, thank you for watching today or listening wherever you are watching or listening, and we'll see you next time on The Catholic Buzz.